helping disciple-makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Etheridge. Welcome back to the Disciple First Podcast. This is a podcast by disciple-makers and for disciple-makers, and I'm Craig Etheridge, your host. And today we are listening in on a sermon that Tommy Nelson, the pastor at Denton Bible Church, preached at our Flashpoint Conference in Dallas. Since 1977, Tommy Nelson has been the pastor of Denton Bible Church located in Denton, Texas. He's been featured on Focus on the Family, Family Life Today, Josh McDowell, uh, for Faith and Family, and other national broadcasts. He has a Master's of Arts degree from in Biblical Studies from DTS, and Tommy is married to Teresa Nelson uh, for more than 25 years. They have two adult sons, and he has for years led a disciple-making church. Tommy uh, spoke at the Flashpoint Conference, and in this message, he said, this is what I would tell pastors if they wanted to make disciples in their church. So buckle your seatbelt. This is going to be a high-octane sermon. Let's listen in on Tommy. I am delighted to be here with you. Uh, Let me just begin with with a statement, and then we'll take a look at it that the greatest thing that you can do for anybody else is to baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then to teach them to obey all that God has taught you. It is called discipleship. And if I were pastoring a church and I had a, a message to share with that congregation to get them toward a life of discipleship, of investing their lives in the eternal souls of men, uh, to take the eternal immutable word of God unto the glory of God, this is the message that I would give, that I'll share with you. It's the theological basis of what discipleship is. Uh, Discipleship in a church cannot be a ministry of the church. As soon as it becomes a ministry of the church, you're in trouble. Discipleship is the church. It is the lead dog. It is the bell cow. It is what drives the pulpit. It is what drives the Sunday schools. It is the great commission. Amen? It is why we are here. It is why God has left us here is to bring men to the knowledge of Christ and then those who are mature to be equipped for the work of ministry to the building up, for the older to take the younger. That is why God has left you here. You and I can become no more saved in the eyes of God than we are in Jesus Christ. So having been saved, why does God leave us here? Is it to make money? Is it to have pleasure? The Bible says at God's right hand there are pleasures forever. Gold, they walk on gold in heaven. It's called asphalt, okay? It's not a big deal. So why has God left you here? Why don't we just baptize you and hold you under and send you to glory? That'd be a hard membership class right there, correct? Why has God left you here? Are we to be deist that uh, he's put the universe in motion and he's left us and 
we're just on our own. Is there meaning to life? I always tell young guys that wonder about what is God's will for their lives. I always tell them what a guy told me early on. Don't worry about God's will for your life. Number one, he's not going to tell you. Number two, it's going to meander and move throughout the world, throughout history, throughout your life. And he said, what you need to ask is, not is the, what is the will of God for your life, but what is the will of God? The will of God is that he will gather to himself his elect. All the Father hath given to me will come to me. The one who comes to me I will not cast out. I will raise him on the last day. I lose not one. I attended Dallas Seminary. I paid good money to be a Calvinist. All right. And so that is the will of God. And so he has left me here for the purpose of getting a job, making money so I can eat and stay alive, that I can know him and make him known. That is God's will. That is the white water. When God became a man, that is what God did. What do we do? The same thing he did. Make a note, never differ with men who rise from the dead. You're always safe. If Jesus did it, do it. Well, let me just give you about seven different, you write these down, okay? Seven different progressive points from eternity to eternity about the theological basis of discipleship. Point number one is that God is a person. He is not the ground of all reality. Like Paul Tillich said, uh, he is not uh, uh, merely the great watchmaker, as others have said. He is, the, he is a person. He is a person to whom man's personhood corresponds, that God has intellect. He had a plan, a creation through seven days by which he would say it's finished. He thought God has intellect, that God has will. There was nothing, God spoke, and there was something. God acts in history. And God has emotion that is grounded in his holiness, and thus he is pleased with righteousness. He is displeased, and the wrath of God abides on all who practice unrighteousness. And so God is intellect, will, and emotion that rise from the fact that he is personal. He is one, but he is triune. And so he is infinitely personable. He is infinitely loving. The ideas of love and justice and mercy don't originate with man. They are eternal with God, and they are reflected in his creation. Are you with me so far? that God is not just a thing, that he is a person. Intellect, will, emotion, morality, holiness, uh, and love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the greatest of all dreams of what a God could be like. If there is no God like Yahweh, then we must find one. We must invent one. This God is the only one that man can tolerate, is an infinite, personal, loving, good God. And the second point is, is that man corresponds to this God. 
that man is a reflection or man is the image of God. He is a finite image. He does not have infinite intellect. He has finite intellect. I was a 2.3 phys ed major. Anybody stupider than me? I'm the stupidest one in the room. I have a finite intellect. I just heard God say amen. Okay. Very finite. Uh, We have finite wills. We are not omnipotent, but we can choose. We have finite emotions. We are not ultimately wrathful toward evil. We are not ultimately delighted in righteousness, but we do have a sense of right and wrong. Man is in the image of God, and he is the only thing of the creation in the image of God. The animal realm, they're all locked into certain personas. A cheetah always acts like a cheetah. A mosquito always acts like a mosquito. That's why you can't find a book on the history of the lion, because they're all lions. You don't have reforms, renaissances, and reformations of lions. A lion is as a lion was. That was brilliant. Write that down, guy. A lot, there's no as they were in the beginning, they are now and ever shall be. They don't make choices because they are not in the image of God. Amen? Man is. As a matter of fact, Psalm 8 says, when I consider the heavens and the works of thy hands, as I look at the Milky Way galaxy, what is man that thou art concerned with him? Are the son of man that thou dost take note of him, but thou hast made him for a little while lower than the angels. Some days man shall judge the angelic realm, and Revelation 22 will be above them. But for a little while he's made them lower than the angels. He has crowned them with glory and honor. He hath put all things underneath their feet. Man is man the king. He is man the vice regent that rules in the stead of God and takes his cue from God and he rules. The Puritans would always speak of man as the regent. Uh, In the Reformed University of North that was going to restore Reformation ideas, it was called Regent's College, that man is in the image of God and corresponds to God. And so, Man's existence is ultimately linked and inseparable with God. Man has choices. And if that man cuts his tether with God, man now becomes disintegrated. That was the temptation. God said, This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat of it, and you shall surely die. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil simply means that man will now know what is good and what is evil based on himself, not upon God. It doesn't mean that man will now try to go and ruin his life. He will now try to be successful and happy and know good and evil and try to have a life that God gave him without God. I will be autonomous from God, just like someone else that made a decision to say, I will be like the Most High, called the devil. And so God says, you eat of this tree, 
of life in fellowship with me. Like a sacrament, you be in fellowship with me and you live forever. You cut the tether with me. And in the day you do it, physically you will die, spiritually you will die, intellectually you will be alien from me, emotionally you will be alien from me, dead to me, willfully you will now follow after yourself and you will now have a new father and that is the devil. So whenever a, um, an astronaut is on a spacewalk, the most important part of his, his uh, technology is his tether that links him to the mothership. You know where you get them? I think you get them at Walmart, okay? And if you cut that tether, you are now alienated from your source and you are sucked into the black hole of the universe. The day that a man says this, the man, this happened in Western civilization with what was called the Enlightenment, that was really was the darkening. It's when Mr. Rene Descartes went into his room and starting with himself, came to a system of truth starting from man's reason, not from God. And you heard this come from Descartes' study. I think, therefore, I am, I think. See, that carries the idea of non-contradiction. If I am, I am not un-am. And it carries the idea of causality, because I think, therefore, I must be. So he brought into it some basic reasonable assumptions that God gives. You can't be outside of God. And so, man is a reflection of God, and man of all creatures, if that man sins and alienates himself from his image, he becomes the cosmic orphan. And all now of the universe, the universe, intellect, will, emotion, history, morality, sexuality, maleness, femaleness, government, money, everything are like pearls on a necklace that you remove the string. And all of these valuable things disintegrate and they are gone. That is the story of man. When he removed God, he removed the string. And so man sees all of the finite things of life, man, woman, morality, the family, education, but he doesn't have meaning. He can only look at the mechanics of them. He cannot look at its meaning because he is dead to God. I'm depressed. Number three, man as a result is fallen. In time and space, the world that we have is not the world that we had. The world that we have is not the world that we shall be. It is a fallen world. Man's glory, as in the image of God, is not erased, but it is effaced. It is opaque. It is a shower door. All you can see is just a visage, but man has lost his glory. He is now intellectually, he is darkened to God. He is, Paul said, hostile in mind. John Calvin said, man has glasses that are jaundiced. They are opaque 
and that he can look at sex, he can look at male, femaleness, government. He can see the individual entity, but he cannot give it any depth. He can't understand what it is. It's a flat, op- flat opaque, dreamlike vision. It's a Dolly impressionistic painting. Is anybody with me? That's not Dolly as in hello. That is in Salvador Dolly. It is, it is surreal, and man can't make out what is there. So his, he can look at the universe and come up with evolution. He can look at the heavens and, and come up with a big bang. He can look at nature and come up with time and chance. He can look at sexuality uh, and, and come up with just nothing but DNA. So man, noetically, his mind, his noe is darkened to God. His will now becomes alien to God. Anybody here have kids? Have y'all noticed that they are conceived in sin and brought forth in iniquity? How many of you raised kids that you said, hey, don't just share the ball. Keep it for yourself ever so often. We've got to school him in evil so we can, no, you didn't have to do that. They grew up children of the devil. It's like their mother. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She ain't here. (laughs) Man's emotion. There is none who seeks for God. Romans chapter 3. The Apostle Paul said, uh, it's pretty good. There is, how did he put it? Paul said, He is darkened in his understanding. He is, he does not seek for God. All have turned aside. Darkened in his understanding, doesn't seek for God. He has turned intellect, emotion, will, all of those glorious things that were in Adam. And now man is darkened, man is dead, and man is departed from God. There is none righteous, no, not one. You say, you know, I became a Christian when I found the Lord. He wasn't lost, okay? You didn't find God. God found you. Amen? And if you had been God, you would have sent you to hell. But God had mercy on your soul. And so, man now becomes a How's it go? It goes like this. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that energizes sons of disobedience. He goes on to say that we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Ye are of your father, the devil. Genesis 3.15, as soon as man sins, God says to the serpent and to the devil behind him, I will put wrath or enmity, Satan, between your seed and the woman's seed and he, singular, second person, male pronoun, 
He will bruise your head. You will wound his heel. And there God gives what is called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel. The salvation will come by a woman's seed. Women don't have seed. Men have seed. It's going to be a virgin-born child, an incarnation of God by the Holy Spirit. And he, that one man, is going to crush Satan's head, and Satan will wound his heel. There will be a divine man come, virgin-born, that will defeat Satan on behalf of man, a federal representative, and in so doing, he will die and give his life. Does that sound like anybody y'all know? That is the first religion and the only religion God will allow is coming to him on the basis of the last Adam. And as you go through the Bible, we get real clear on who that man is, where he's from, things he will do. And so, John the Baptist, you know, but the reason I say that, what does God call mankind? Satan, I will put enmity between your seed. Who's the seed of the devil? It's natural man, conceived in sin and born in iniquity. So how do you get to be a child of God? You're going to have to be born again. You're going to have to be delivered from the domain of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of God's dear son. You are of your father the devil, John the Baptist. You brood of vipers. Paul, evil men are held captive by the devil to do his will. Are you with me so far? Okay. You say, boy, this is an encouraging message to Keep blessing my soul. Well, stay with me. God is a person. Man is his reflection and man is opaque. Man is, Mr. Calvin said, totally depraved. The fall of man is total. The effect is dead. Left to himself, man will always act like his father, the devil. He will act in autonomy. He will be the one that will judge what is right and wrong. That was the whole nature of Satan's temptation, to get Eve off to the side out from under God, out from under her husband, and making a judgment call on her own between good and evil, God and Satan, autonomously. And she fell. All right? Well, number four, God has provided for man special revelation. He has turned on the lights. God hasn't merely given to man the general revelation of nature and of conscience and of the image of God in man. But God has now penetrated. You know, when God made Adam, God walked with him in the cool of the day. Even when man was unfallen, man had to have a quiet time. Adam had to walk with God. God took on the form of a theophany. God appearing to man in human form. I think that if you had seen it, it was the Word of God, that it was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God becoming man. And that theophany would walk with Adam, and I think he would interpret to Adam everything that he sees. There's the universe. There are animals. You like them? Name them. 
name them according to what you see in them, meaning that your eyes, your senses, and your apparition of the physical universe by your senses and your mind is trustworthy. It is the, the basis, the theological basis for reason and for empiricism. You have the ability to trust what you see and what you touch. Not You don't have to, the philosophers would say, go behind the thing in itself and you don't know what it is. No, you can know what it is. Fish can navigate water through gills. Birds navigate through feathers. Adam, I'm going to let you navigate this through senses, touch, taste, and you're going to draw evaluations and conclusions by the data that you get. Are you glad that we're not alien in this world, that God makes us? All the philosophers' questions of how we know, God tells you. I'm going to interpret that to you. So what do you want to name the animal? Tall yeller animal, giraffe, that's what we'll call him. Because you observe, he is tall and he is yeller, and so we'll let you name him that. So you're trustworthy in what you can judge. Well, that was Eden. Genesis 3.15, you have the fall of man, and God gives a promise. The seed of woman will crush the serpent's head. You follow those next ten generations in Genesis chapter 5, and you start seeing in Genesis 4, mankind go down, and here is a line from Seth all the way through Noah. There's a guy in there called Enoch. He is the first prophet of the Bible. The book of Jude says that he saw judgment was coming. The Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones, bringing judgment upon all the ungodly for their ungodly deeds. They've done it in an ungodly way, and the harsh things ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He saw the final judgment. Actually, what was going to come was a temporal judgment. And so three generations later, ten generations, you have a fellow named Rest. Now, I want to show you something. Take a look at Genesis chapter 5. Are y'all with me so far? All right. We limited who could come to this session. There were 300 stupid guys that wanted to get in here, and we left them all outside. Only the most intelligent of Colleyville are here. In chapter 5, would you look at verse 29? Whenever Noah was born... This one will give us rest. That's what the word Noah means, is rest. He will give us rest from our work and the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. The name Yahweh, the Lord, has been kept together by direct revelation to that chosen line from Seth. They know who God is. What does that mean, the, the ground that God has cursed? They still have a passed on knowledge of why there is sin and death and the fall, that it wasn't natural in the creation, that it was cursed. This one shall give us rest. Who do they think Noah is that will save them from the curse? The first name of Jesus in the Bible is Noah. They thought, this is the one. So that knowledge, not just of sin, not just of God, but of the Redeemer, that there is salvation someday, 
There's going to be a man release us from the fall, and they think that this person is him. That's why it's said that Jesus grows up in Nazareth and he moves to a city called the city of Noah. What was it called? Caper City, Nahum Rest. What's the city? Capernaum. That's where Christ grew up, the city of Noah. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and I will, you will find rest for your souls. He comes up out of the water, and the Spirit of God Noah's upon him. Rest. And here in a new world is an olive leaf come through. And so, God gave direct revelation to man. I made this. Sin occurred. Salvation will come. And it will come from one who will bring salvation to you. And so God gave direct revelation. It continues. Well, after the flood, turn over to chapter 9. Because after the flood, now we have a new world beginning. The Spirit of God moves over the face of the deep once again. And up from Ararat, there comes life emerging from the waters. Life always emerges from the water. And now, here comes one, and it is Noah. He has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham sins, and in 925, just as Ham rebelled against the father as a son, Ham will have a brother or a son rebel. Cursed be Canaan. And so the Canaanites are cursed. And this infant nation going in to Canaan, the Jews, know that these people will be defeated. And then in verse 26, who will God put his name with? And he said, blessed be Yahweh, the name of God. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Folks, do you all know what the word Shem means in Hebrew? It means the name. It's a play on words. Blessed be Yahweh, the name of God, uh, the God of the name. God will bestow his name, his revelation upon Shem. Now, what people came from the Shemites, the Semites, when we speak of a Semitic people, what person comes to mind or what nationality? The Jew, Israel. And so God says, I'm going to give my word not to the Hamites, it's not going to be to the Egyptians, not going to be to the Africans, not going to be to those of the East, I'm not going to give it to the Japhethites, the Japhethites, your Northern Europeans, your Indians, the word Japheth, that's most of us, are, if you're a white guy, you're a Japhethite, the word Japheth is Hebrew for he who cannot jump, do you know that? And so these were people, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that was a lie, that was a lie. Now Japheth means the one that will spread out, and he was going to spread out, he's going to go all over the world. Well, in verse 26, the word is going to come to the Semite, 
And so God gave a word. The Proto-Evangelion, the seed of woman will crush the serpent's head. That passed all the way down to Noah. That knowledge of God was continued. And now we find out that the knowledge of God is going to be bestowed on the Semitic people. You remember what Jesus said in John 4 to the woman at the well? You seek for what you do not understand. We worship what we know, the Jew, because salvation is of the Jews. To know God, you go to the Jew. You don't go to Gautama of India. You don't go to Muhammad of Arabia. You don't go to Harvard of those who cannot jump. You do not go to the Inuit of Alaska. You do not go to Australia and the Bushmen. You don't go to the Romans and their pantheon of deities. You don't go to the Greeks and Socrates. If you're going to know, you go to Moriah of Jerusalem. And that is where God will make himself known. Through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? That is why a Christian nation America has always had an instinctive affinity for her grandparents, Israel. May that continue. Don't get me started. Well, in verse 27, the Japhethites are going to dwell in the tents of Shem. This is an anticipation of the movement of the church among the Gentiles. To dwell in the tent of Shem means that you come to a Jew and you find protection and you find food. Have y'all found rest and nourishment from a particular Jew? I happen to have a book before me that has 66 books in it. 64 of them are written by Jews. Only Luke and Acts are written by a Gentile. Japheth, the reason that we are here this evening or morning is that Japheth has found rest in the tent of Shem. And it is from the Gentile church that will begin in the area of Europe that it will spread out to Ham and to every place else in the world. Well, look over at chapter 12. After the Tower of Babel, we find out that in chapter 12, God will raise up his own nation. And it is from Abraham. And he says in verse Three, at the very end, in you, Abraham. And Abraham is the father of the, who's Abraham the father of? The Jews. And Abraham, the father of the Jews. God says, in you shall the nations be blessed. I am going to give my word to this fallen world of the seed of woman that will crush the serpent's head. I'm going to give it to Adam and through Seth and all the way down through Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, and from Noah to the Semites, and the Semites to the Jew. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are, are beneficiaries of direct revelation. Sometimes the angel of Jehovah would come to him, Abraham, in chapter 18 and in chapter uh, uh, the, the, the slaying of, of Isaac, he would come to him and watch out for him. Genesis 22, the angel of Jehovah will speak from heaven 
do not harm the lad. Uh, Jacob, the angel of Jehovah, will appear. God will give visions to him. These people are the recipients of divine revelation. Then they come out of Egypt and they go to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, they now get the word of God, a document. The Jew will have a document. And it will begin to restore the image of God to man. It will begin reconciling man back to God. Let me show you something. Look at Exodus chapter 19 with me. Exodus 19. Exodus chapter 20 begins the Ten Commandments and the giving of law that will progressively be compiled through the book of Deuteronomy. And in Exodus 19, in verse 5, God says, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, that is his anticipation of the Bible, the giving of law, then you will be my own possession among all the peoples of the earth. All the earth is mine. I'm going to make you, Israel, special, a treasure, because you're going to have a document you're not going to have to trust anymore in visions and in revelations, except as I continue to give my word. I'm going to give you a basis of all of truth, and that is the law. I will show you the history of where you came from. I will show you how you came out of Egypt, and I will give law to you. And you will be, in verse 6, a kingdom of priests. You as a whole nation will be a blessing to the earth because you will have a Bible. That is Israel's great contribution to man, is man can now think in antithesis because of the Bible. He has a way of knowing who God is. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2, he said, if you bear the name Jew and rely upon God and glory in his law and are confident that you're a, uh, or rather that, that uh, you are able to discern the things that differ being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you're a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. The Jew could know God. He could walk with God. He could be a blessing to others. And so, that is your fourth point right here, that God has provided to man direct revelation and then the revelation of the law of God that came through the nation of Israel. Amen? And that purpose is to see man in the Old Testament get an anticipation of the coming of the high priest that will shed his blood in the presence of God, and that he can now walk with God. And you see the heroes of the Old Testament. They are moral men. They are holy men. They are repentant men, forgiven men. And God now shines, you know, it's interesting if you take all the nations and push them together and, and like reverse continental drift, you know what's in the dead center? Israel. God puts them dead center. Book of Ezekiel calls Israel the navel of the earth, the glory of all lands. God says, here is truth. It's a fountain. Well, we're going to hear more from Tommy Nelson and the rest of that sermon. But uh, if you'd like to find out more about disciple making, you can go to theflashpointconference.com and uh, find out where our next Flashpoint conferences will be. Uh, you can also go to disciplefirst.com uh, for resources and training. 
I hope to see you then, and until then, go make disciples.